Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake, your word may be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, guiding us, Lord, in those profound and yet basic truths of the gospel as we look again tonight, too, at uh, the importance of recognizing the proper God, the true God, the only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We rejoice in who you are. We marvel at who you are. We pray that in the aftermath of this message, that that's how we'll respond, and not only in this time together, but afterwards, and that what's read and what's ministered may be done in such a way as to give you glory. We ask that you'd hear us in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, as we carry on looking at the Belgian Confession. Tonight, in our second service, it's been what we've been, for the most part, looking at in our second service. Of course, as pastors in our federation, we're called to confessional preaching, primarily uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, but then also to catch other creedal statements as well, or confessional statements, and this is certainly one of them, the Belgian Confession. And we're looking at Articles 8 and 9 tonight, which you'll find on page 72 and 73 that deal with the Trinity, and then we're going to be reading from the Word of God, first of all, on that matter, looking at Matthew 3, 13, 17. And there we read that then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We find all three persons of the Trinity in that episode that's Pen for us by uh, the Apostle Matthew. We're going to take a moment to respond to it. Reading from these two articles out of uh, the Belgian Confession, starting with Article 8, God is one in essence, yet distinguished in three persons. First one then, at first article there, we read this. According to this truth and this word of God, based on that, that we make this confession, we believe in one only God who is the one single essence in which are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the Word, wisdom, and image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three, since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have each His personality distinguished by their properties, but in such wise that these three persons are but one only God. Hence, then, it is evident that the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these 
persons thus distinguished are not divided nor intermixed. For the Father has not assumed the flesh, nor has the Holy Spirit, but, but the Son only. The Father has never been without his Son or without his Holy Spirit, for they are all three co-eternal and co-essential. There is neither first nor last. They are all three one in truth and power and goodness and in mercy. And Article 9 speaks about the proof of the foregoing article of the Trinity of persons in one God. All this we know as well from the testimonies of Holy Writ as from their operations and chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. The testimonies of the Holy Spirit that teach us to believe this Holy Trinity are written in many places of the Old Testament which are not so necessary to enumerate as to choose them out with discretion and judgment. In Genesis chapter 1, 26-27, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, etc. And God created man in his own image, male and female, created by he them. In Genesis 3.22, Behold, the man has become as one of us. From this saying, Let us make man in our image, it appears that there are more persons than one in the Godhead. And when he says God created, he signifies the unity. It's, it's true. He does not say how many persons there are. That which appears to us somewhat obscure in the Old Testament is very plain in the New. For when our Lord was baptized in Jordan, the voice of the Father was heard saying, This is my beloved Son. The Son was seen in the water, and the Holy Spirit appeared in the shape of a dove. This form is also instituted by Christ in the baptism of all believers. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel thus addressed Mary, the mother of our God. The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. Wherefore also the holy thing which is begotten shall be called the Son of God. Likewise, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. And there are three that bear record in heaven. Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. In all these places we're fully taught that there are three persons in one, only one divine essence. And although this doctrine far surpasses all human understanding, nevertheless we now believe it by means of the Word of God. But expect hereafter to enjoy the perfect knowledge and benefit thereof in heaven. Moreover, we must observe the particular offices and operations of these three persons toward us. Father is called our Creator by His power. The Son is our Savior and Redeemer by His blood. The Holy Spirit is our Sanctifier by His dwelling in our hearts. This doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been affirmed and maintained by the true Church since the time of the Apostles to this very day against the Jews, Mohammedans, and some false Christians and heretics as Marcion, Manus, Praxius, Sibelius, Samus, Satanus, Arius, and such like, who have been justly condemned by the Orthodox Fathers. Therefore, in this point, we do willingly receive the three creeds, namely that of the Apostles, of Nicaea, and of Ath Athanasius. Likewise, that which conformable thereunto is agreed upon by the ancient Fathers. Appreciate your attention to that and uh, God's blessing on his word. We do pray and we have prayed this evening.
Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we, if we lo were locked out of a building and we had a key ring and it had a thousand key keys on it, but only one of them opened the door for us, those other 999 keys, no matter how much they might jingle and make, make us look impressive because we have so many keys, all those other keys tend to be worthless at the moment. Especially if we have to get into that building as soon as possible. Those other keys just get in our way as we try to find the key that opens the door. Well, when it comes to the key to understanding who it is that we're supposed to be worshiping, who we're to trust for time and for eternity, who we're supposed to live for ultimately, who it is that's created us, who saved us, who redeems us, the key that we need to open those doors is a profession of the God who is revealed in the Bible, who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if that isn't the God that we're following, then life doesn't make any sense to us. Because believing in the triune God is the key to life. This profession of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's just part of the Christian witness to the world. It's, it's a very basic thing for us to be considering as Christians, yet it's a very profound matter for us to be considering when we are Christians. We want to focus on that profession tonight. And in very simple ways, in one way, simple, just because of the points. The points are, we're going to be looking at how we profess this triune God is one and yet three. The oneness and the threeness of this God. So when we're talking about the oneness of this God, we're presuming by that confession that there are no other gods before him. And there are not to be. It's... It, it's not like the mentality of the Greeks, you know, who saw a multiplicity of gods, or the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament times where they spoke about many gods. It's not the attitude of the multiculturalists of our day who want us to say that many gods need to be respected if the world's going to ever get along, or that this is the same God that's being worshipped in this place of worship as opposed to that place of worship, uh, particularly when we think about, let's say, that uh, we think about Mohammedans who, and those who are Islamic who say that they pray to Allah and that they, they worship Allah, well, he's no different than the God of the Bible. And, of course, there's a lot of people who want to make that claim. It's, it's also not the, the mentality that says that we can have more than one master. right? Because like Jesus would say to us, we either serve the one and despise the other. Give homage to one and hate the other. Where we can give God what he wants and then we can give to our own imagined gods and idols, whatever they may be, what they want. Basically what we want not the attitude that says that, that my name is supposed to come 
before all the others as we're chasing about because that our goal, what's what's driving us, what it's the fire in our in our belly is is the fact that we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be remembered. We want people to look at us and say, isn't he something and or isn't she something? And so that it, it's not to be that attitude. It's the that's the attitude of Babel, wasn't it? The Tower of Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's let's build this big tower and to God and and let's be in control rather than calling upon the name of the Lord, which is what our calling is, uh, to put His name first, the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christian profession isn't also, by the way, the Latter-day Saints mentality that says there's a multitude of gods. Not uh, that of the Jehovah's Witnesses that say that there are lesser gods and one major god. It's not a Hinduistic Eastern viewpoint that says all of life is divine. Or an environmentalist view that sees the earth and the creation as the timeless and divine one. And it's not in that divinity, in that timelessness, the one that has the power to save us. No, we are the ones that have to save her. not the mentality that then that does what the apostle says happens to people who do that where we substitute the creation or substitute the creator with the creation there's one god apart from him there is no other it's why the 10 commandments begin like they do you shall have no other gods before me because i am the lord not your gods but your god profession of one God and one God alone. But in our sin, and if that sin gets so deep and we're so depraved of heart that it's not just in our sin, but it's in our, it's in our hearts apart from grace, we want to replace him. Uh, we want to deny him. We want to ignore him. We want to put others beside him. And we think we'll, we could in somewhere in that mentality, one of the reasons we want to do it is because we think then we can have the best of both worlds that way, right? That's what happened in Elijah when he was at Mount Carmel. And they said, well, if Baal is God, then you follow him. And if Jehovah was God, then you follow him. And they didn't want to choose. They'd rather limp between two opinions, right? Try to limp on both legs. You can't do it. But of course, people in Israel's time at that time wanted it both ways. They wanted, they just figured that it's, it's like we've said before, no doubt, that if you take a couple of aspirin for your headache, that's fine. But if you've got a real headache, well, why don't you just take the whole bottle? The more gods, the merrier. The more, the better. No, that's that's what some like to would like to think. We'll just have the best of of everything that way. We'll, we'll just take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that and we'll mix it all together and call it good. Or we think they were best left alone by him that way. Let's just, let's just let God leave us alone. 
We're better off without him. We think that we know it better than him that way. That's, that's the sinful approach. We think we're better than him that way. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the, the temptation was that way, right? And God doesn't, God's not looking out for you. It's, it's absolutely the other way around. He's just making your life miserable. There's a better way. There's the evil way. But, but those are all myths and they're lies by which we're walking and talking and living when we are sinful or when we are left dead to our sin. We cannot live without it. We live and move and have our being because of it. We can't do better than He. We are not better than He is. And we can't, we're lying to ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves, and we think we can truly ignore Him because He's all around us in the sense of the testimony that He makes in all of creation. And He's even buried that truth in our own being as His image bearers. We must seek to suppress it. But we can't ignore Him. None other is to be glorified. No other is to be recognized. No other is to be the first and only. Because there isn't any other God besides Him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God, our God, by which we live and move and have our being. One God to be feared. One God to be trusted. One God to be exalted. One God to trust. One God to be loved. One God for whom we are to live. And while the temptations are out there to be accepting of all gods, or to be manufacturing our own little gods of pleasure and self and prosperity and power, it's, it's the one God who reveals himself in his word as the one true God is to be professed, to be proclaimed, and to be the center of our lives and of all the world. But if the oneness of God was the only essential element of Christian profession and witness, then that witness wouldn't be unique. If we stop there, we are in a position that others still might share. There are those who profess the oneness of a God like Islamics, Muslims, and those who follow Judaism. what fulfills the essential and unique profession of God by Christians is the threeness of the one God. Namely, the three persons of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Threeness in persons. It's no more common ground with polytheists, though, as oneness, in essence, is common ground with non-Christian monotheists. We still don't have common ground with them because you're always looking at different gods in both camps. For our profession of the threeness of the triune God is, is not a profession of three gods. So we're not in the camp of the polytheist. You know, the God who believe, the person who believes in many gods. 
even though we can call the Father God the Father and the Son God the Son and the Spirit uh, God the Holy Spirit. Neither are we professing that the three persons are evenly divided as one-third God apiece because then none would be fully God. They'd be fractional gods. And we'd be professing the divisibility of God whom we claim to be always and fully one God. When we see and hear the testimony of the Son in his consecration at the Jordan River in Matthew 3, the divine testimony is revealing in a beautiful and, and powerful way the high honor and place of the one who has come by the Father and is anointed by the Spirit to do his Father's will unto salvation and unto God's sovereign purposes. God's salvation and his sovereignty come together that way in the consecration of the Christ anointed by the Spirit. In the voice of God the Father, we hear the certification of the Son's righteousness. In what's in a fancy way called the theophany of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the visible manifestation of the Spirit in the form of a dove. We see the authorization, the equipping by the, by the Father of the Son. And we see in the Son and the Spirit and the Father the certifying of God's good and righteous and saving and sovereign purposes coming to focus and fullness, as even Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness in God the Son. It's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. The Lord Jesus Christ, leaving no doubt that these three persons, the Divine Son, the Divine Spirit, the Divine Father, are to be loved and trusted and served unto salvation, and unto a life of grateful living, and unto a life everlasting. Secure in these three persons. And this Son of God that rises from the Jordan is seen, as you think back on the history of God's redemption, the, the true Israel. Remember how they crossed the Jordan. And you see God's true firstborn, the real Adam, not the one that disobeyed, but the one with whom God is well pleased. Who accomplishes everything that Israel didn't, and everything that mankind could never accomplish nor fulfill, everything that Adam did not. He's the one who because of the ultimate testimony of the triune God in this beautiful picture that we see here, is worthy to say, worthy to be served, and therefore worthy of our trust and our devotion always. Now, of course, many people refuse to accept the idea of one God in three persons because they just think, we can't box God in that way then. That's way beyond what we can understand. The Trinity is not, as some would say, though, 
this completely impossible and defiant manifestation of reason. Because just because that's not possible for you and I to be one yet three doesn't leave it impossible for God to be so. Now that doesn't mean we understand that fully, but we believe it because the God of the Scriptures has revealed that to us. Again, this is how we preface our profession. It's according to the truth and this Word of God that we believe this. Because the God who is this way is the God who revealed Himself that way. Of course, it comes down to then a heart issue for us. It's, it's not because this isn't true. It's just because, and it's not just a mere matter of, well, you know, you just got to be able to wrap your mind around it. Try wrapping your mind completely around it. That's not the point. The point is, there's a refusal that happens in the world to accept the testimony of God Himself. That's the issue. There's a need for the Spirit of God to illumine those who are in darkness. And for, in passages like this one, the testimony of the Trinity has been made public. Again, God never does anything in a corner. He's seen and heard and manifested in His Son. There's this triple testimony, if you would, about the, uh, that comes to us from the Trinitarian God, the Triune God, and yet people want to take alternative approaches to this doctrine of Scripture. And they'll say, if, you, if you're going to have one God, then you cannot have a God in three persons. People will, will speak of the three persons as three gods then. They'll even say that in a mocking kind of way. But that's where many have their trouble, of course. It's not three gods, it is three persons. And yet none of the persons is devoid of the divine essence, lacking in any way. It's God the Father, it's God the Son, it's God the Holy Spirit. And some would like to say that God is a God who reveals Himself in different packages like that. He can't, this can't be. He's changing costumes. He's changing modes. Some would call that modalism. Right? He's wearing a different hat. You know, sometimes you have that happen to you, right? So the boys and girls can say, well, I'm a student at some times, and at other times I'm, I'm a baseball player. Or I play a trumpet. And so sometimes I'm a musician, and sometimes I'm an athlete, and sometimes I'm a student. I'm just wearing different hats. Sometimes when we get really busy, we, we as adults too, we can feel like we're wearing so many different hats that we wish we could be more than one person. And, and some people like to say that's how God is. He, he changes costume. Sometimes He's the Father. Sometimes He's the Son. Sometimes He's the Holy Spirit. But, but such would be to deny the eternal nature of all 
three persons of the Trinity. And then all would lack divinity. Others will deny that Jesus Christ is God the Son incarnate. Others are going to deny the personhood of the Holy Spirit. They resign themselves to nothing. The Holy Spirit is but a force in which to be reckoned. But then, of course, you, you have the problem of sinning against the Holy Spirit, or as we'll see more in more detail the next time, the overwhelming evidence from Scripture that the Word, who Jesus Christ is, was not only with God, but was God. One simply has to see that, put it that way, simply, that while God remains one, He's also three persons with each person carrying out distinct roles that contribute to their distinctive personhood. It's the Father who sends the Son. The Son doesn't send the Father. Right? The Son is anointed with the Spirit. It's not the other way around. It's the Son with the Father who sends the Spirit. It's not the Spirit who sends the Son. It's the Son who becomes incarnate, not the Father, and not the Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God who changes the hearts of those elected by God from eternity. And yet in their distinctive roles, there's never any disharmony because it's the Father who sends the Son. It's the Son who submits to the Father so that the Father would say, indeed, he is well, I'm well pleased with him. It's the Spirit who anoints the Son sent by the Father who sends the Spirit along with the Son. There's no disharmony there. But if we don't recognize that God, that one God in three persons, you don't recognize God. If you're a polytheist who believes in many gods, you don't recognize the oneness of God in three persons. And if you're a strict monotheist, like a Muslim, who believes in strict, the strictness of this one God, one person, who's a follower or a follower of Judaism, then you don't recognize the three divine persons who comprise the one Godhead. You know, and in our society, we may enjoy our generic prescriptions or our generic brands, because we say, you know, they're just as good as the, as the name brands. Sometimes we're like that with prescriptions, right? So I'm not, I'm not getting brand X that way, because I can, you know, I'm not going to get Motrin, right? Because I can just get this generic brand, and it won't cost me as much. Just good. Or you say sugar sugar. I'm not going to buy C and H. I'm just going to buy great value. Because it's cheaper. But it's not acceptable to follow a generic God. People want to do that in society. You can ask people in this world in which we live if they believe in God. A lot of people will say they do. But who is that God? That they believe. And for what do they believe in him? 
the doctrine of the Trinity may not be simple to understand in one respect, and that's understandable. But yet, on the other hand, it's very basic for us to believe if we want our worship to be true, our salvation realized, our peace in life to be real, and it's basic for us to understand what life's all about. Because unless we believe in the one God, the Father is the Creator, the Son is the Savior and Redeemer, the Spirit is the Sanctifier, we stand on a foundation of sand that's just going to wash away with the tide of evil and judgment, chaos and emptiness. It really does matter what God we're following. It does make a difference. For mankind makes all sorts of them. Like John Calvin said, where man in his, in his sinful heart is, a, is an idol factor. We make all sorts of them, and, and none of them open the door of life. There are a bunch of keys that may jingle but are useless. They don't give direction or order or purpose. They don't, they don't give us redemption. They don't help us to understand things on the whole, the whole of creation. The key that will open the door to these things is found in what God has revealed about himself in his word. Because who else knows better who God is than God? And according to his word, he's one God in three persons. And that's the God whom the church of Jesus Christ professes and does so for its own benefit and above all to the glory of the Lord, but also as a witness to the world. So that the world will turn from worthless idols to the one who's worthy of our praise worthy of our lives, and who makes our lives worthwhile. It's the saving and sovereign God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond, shall we? In prayer. Our God and Heavenly Father, again tonight, we're grateful for basics of the faith that when we ponder on them are truly awesome things to consider. We heard that earlier in the interlude too, that our God is an awesome God. And while these things then are, are basic to life, they are awesome to comprehend. We pray, Lord, that for us, we would never lose sight of how awesome you are. That more and more people may not try to follow a generic God or lump all gods into one pot and think that all are the same. But we know from the teachings of Scripture that's just not true. We find our security, our worth, our worth. we find our salvation, we find our redemption, we find our purpose in knowing this one God, 
three persons. There's only you, Son, and Spirit, the one only God, who lives and reigns forever, and because of that is the reason why we can live and reign with Christ forever. We pray, Lord, that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing another.